There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. Today we're going to talk about Steelers, Colts, Bucks, Packers, and the Sunday night football game, Jags, Ravens, and then we'll close out with our best bets for the weekend. Uh, Drew, let's start with Steelers, Colts. Colts are one and a half point favorites. The total is 42 and a half. All of the injury news uh, has skewed positive for the Steelers this week. TJ Watt will play, Alex Highsmith will play. Braden Smith for the Colts will not, which I think is quietly a big deal. And Jonathan Taylor won't either. Well, that's perhaps not unexpected. Uh, What are you expecting from this game? I agree with your take, but I think actually the injury news skews towards the under. Uh, The fact that you will have a healthy uh, pass rush for the Steelers absolutely matters. Uh, And the fact that there may be a healthier secondary for the Colts matters. Deontay Johnson missing practice this week. He's obviously not 100%. He's obviously not happy there. Uh, And it's not like even if he was 100%, uh, you have all that pie of confidence that Mitch Trubisky is going to find him. Um, But uh, when you rewatch the uh, Colts-Bengals game, besides just the greatness of Jake Browning that was very clear on film and the very good decision-making of Zach Taylor, it was pretty clear that guys like Daryl Baker Jr. were huge minuses out there for the Colts. And now you're going to have potentially Juju Brunts playing, which uh, I know maybe not a household name, but he is definitely a guy that I have a higher grade on than some of the uh, replacement level players that were uh, backfilling there. So I think the Colts uh, defense might be able to give you a pretty decent performance here. Uh, I know it's in a dome. I know there's no weather. I know the Colts play very fast, but this is a huge total for a Steelers game. And uh, if you were to tell me that one or both of these teams is going to keep, you know, is going to not get to 20 points, that's where I'm projecting this game to land. So uh, I would have a fair total here of 41. The fact that you can get 41 and 42 right now with the total sitting at 42 and a half, I think is pretty huge. So uh, for me, this is an underplay. And if I had to take a spot on the side, I would lean Colts just because there's such a lack of confidence in what the Steelers are doing offensively now. Um, and uh, honestly, the potential absence of Isaac Samalu on the uh, on the offensive line, he was a huge part of their rushing success when they were running the ball so effectively. So uh, this actually spells pretty clearly under to me. Uh, and uh, again, if I had to take a side, I think uh, the Colts are more likely uh, to stay in the mix for a playoff spot than the Steelers. And I think uh, the home cooking uh, may be enough to get them across the finish line here and get a very hard fought win. 
Yep, I'm with you. And I think that Isaac Sayomala, him being out is a big deal because he's arguably their best offensive lineman. And the fact that he's not there against a Colts pass rush that has quietly emerged as an above average unit this year, I think that's a problem. And that ties into what I think is the biggest theme or idea about this game, which is that Mitch Trubisky might just be complete poison. Uh, he <laughs> replicates what he did against the Patriots, then they're just not going to win any games, basically. I can't remember uh, an NFL quarterback who has played in the league as long as Trubisky and was thought of as having, I think we came into the season thinking Trubisky is kind of the, the archetypal backup quarterback uh, and the guy who comes in and gives you uh, replacement level play or slightly above and is just a fine, competent, not very good NFL quarterback. But what he did against the Patriots between the pick that he threw, the picks that he almost threw, but to me the main thing was just the way that he was going through his progressions which is to say he wasn't going through his progressions. If the first read wasn't open, he was tucking and running. And the problem with that is that he isn't fast and he's not good at running. Uh, but he just seemed to have no confidence whatsoever. And to do that at home against the New England Patriots, uh, I don't know what he's going to be like going on the road against a team in Indianapolis that I think has a better pass rush than New England. And to your point about my man Juju Brands. I think this is quietly a massive addition for the Colts just because he is a real-life cornerback. He is an above-average cornerback, if only slightly. And what they were getting at that position, I mean, you saw against Cincinnati, these receivers, they could just get separation immediately. When you've got guys like Jalen Jones and Daryl Baker Jr., like these aren't, these aren't guys that you can rely on. Those are their top two outside corners. Now you bring in Juju Brantz, You've got Kenny Moore, who's one of the best slot corners in the league. You've got a healthy defensive line. I mean, the whole the whole defense is basically healthy now. Uh, Grover Stewart being back, I think, is really key, and that will help their run defense against a rushing offense in the Steelers that had seen a resurgence before struggling against the Patriots, like all teams struggle against the Patriots in the run. But overall, I think there are a lot of reasons uh, to like the Colts in this game. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, what was it, two weeks ago? You were very uh, kind of prescient in evaluating the hot seat under Mr. Tim Boyle. <laughs> you came up with a, a fun little, uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and shoot some, some unders on Mr. Boyle, just in case it becomes the Trevor Simeon show. And lo and behold, it did. Uh, similarly, could have run that back last week with Josh Dobbs. I think you can run it back this week with Mr. Trubisky. The Tomlin quotes about having... Um, Mason Rudolph ready to go. Uh, that is not a good sign. If Trubisky intends to play four quarters in this game. Uh, and, uh, you know, even if they are playing with a positive game state, like if they get a defensive touchdown, for instance, if Gardner Minshew does his thing and throws a pick six in the first quarter of this game, are they going to put it in Trubisky's hands or are they going to lean on their rushing attack? I would think very significantly likely the latter. Uh, so, yeah. Trubisky as an underlook here uh, feels like a, a fun plus EV play as well. Yep, I like that. He said at 195 and a half. And the thing is, is that people were calling for his head mid-game against the Patriots. And I just don't think that was ever viable just because Mason Rudolph hadn't taken like any snaps and it was a short week and Trubisky had been taking all the backup snaps. 
all season long, now after an additional week of practice without Kenny Pickett in the pitch, mm-hmm. picture, you would think that would be more viable. And I think Trubisky was so agonizingly bad against the Patriots that it gives rise to a lot of variance in this game more than usual. And the idea is that if he if he performs at the same level he did against the Pats, then like really weird stuff starts to get starts to come into play. Like uh Colts minus 20 and a half at 12 to 1, Colts minus 13 and a half at 5 to 1. Like I think that Trubisky's level of play um, gives birth to that kind of variance uh, in a game like this, which it gives rise certainly I would think to more variance for a blowout than your typical game that is uh, a one and a half point spread on a 42 and a half point total. All right, before we get to Bucks Packers, a reminder, Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern, Vaughn Dalzell, Brad Thomas, and Eric Froton are answering your college football betting questions for bowl season. They'll discuss which games they've circled, handicap the college football playoffs, as well as get you ready for seven matchups on Saturday. So go check them out on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. At the theater, more than the movies come to life. Movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Bucks at Packers. Line is Packers minus three and a half. The total is 41 and a half. Uh, Packers broke my heart on Monday night, Drew. Uh, I had high hopes for that team. Uh, some equity in them between the division, between Matt LaFleur winning coach of the year, which is now effectively down the drain. And it was remarkable how bad they were on defense. And we get to Jordan Love as well, who was terrible. But to me, the big story was their defense, the fact that they just didn't realize after, even after the first five or six times that Tommy DeVito was just going to tuck it and run up the middle uh, and just gain 10 yards, whatever he wanted. They just couldn't. I don't know why teams, when on final drives, it seems like just over and over again, teams just play in shell defenses. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you're just giving up eight, nine yards each time. Like, the team's going to get into field goal range. Like, you're preventing a touchdown. You need to prevent a field goal. Uh, so I don't know what happened to their defense. Perhaps it's just not very good. But uh, what's your read on the Packers at the moment? Yeah, I mean, the Packers' defense is a schematic nightmare uh, in a negative game state, I think is really what it comes down to. And uh, Joe Barry has been doing this for so many years that it really shouldn't surprise us when they do have a letdown 
uh, particularly on the road, particularly against a team that is using a run-first approach, particularly against a team that apparently has a mobile quarterback in Tommy DeVito. Uh, you know who is not Tommy DeVito? Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield dealing with uh, you know relatively non-trivial injuries now for going on as many weeks as I can remember. He is not a mobile guy. He is not going to be able to break the pocket in the same way that uh, Tommy DeVito did. And he does have an outstanding pass-protecting line in front of him, but that line is generating very little in the run game. And honestly, if you have a recipe to really hurt this Packers defense, I think it starts and ends on the ground. Uh, and while Rashad White has been a breath of fresh air for one of the more stagnant run offenses of the last three years, uh, I would still say that uh, the run blocking is not, you know, is impressing me at all from Tampa Bay. And uh, there's potential here for the Packers, if they can generate a lead to play from ahead and look more like the game states and the game uh, outcomes that we saw against the Lions and the Chiefs. Um, in particular, I, I would expect that the offense for the Packers is more like those outcomes based on the fact that you have a, a defensive cluster injury for the Buccaneers, uh, not a specific unit, but basically hugely important players at all three levels will be missing. Right now, I know Vita Vea will not play, not expecting Devin White, not expecting Carlton Davis, not expecting Jamel Dean. Uh, and so for those reasons, I think the Packers are going to be able to be a lot more successful in this game than they were against the Giants. Uh, there were definitely, I think, impacts from the win. There were definitely, I think, impacts from just being on the road, being in a, a you know an unfriendly environment uh, for Jordan Love last game out. And uh, if he looks more like the guy that we would see in the previous four weeks, I would be... Uh, I'm not going to be surprised uh, if he has another stinker like he did in the game against the Giants. Then uh, now we're starting to think, okay, well, we maybe got a little bit ahead of ourselves with how we evaluated and upgraded him. Um, I think there are still enough weapons on this team in the absence of Christian Watson to do some damage through the air against the Buccaneers. Uh, and I think uh, while he is a you know wildly overdrafted player, A.J. Dillon still does have enough juice on the ground. Uh, to kind of help create a balanced attack. Uh, Packers can play with the lead. Uh, Packers are aggressive. Packers are playing with their backs against the wall now, too. Like, they have, you know, giving up that game, put them in a precarious situation for getting a playoff spot. So uh, I think you're going to see a little bit more uh, aggressiveness out of the floor, a little bit more likelihood to empty the playbook here. So uh, I laid the points with the Packers. Not my favorite look this week, but definitely I think this should be closer to four and a half. Um, and uh, I think in general, Green Bay matches up fairly well against a pretty injured Buccaneers team right now. Um, Buccaneers are a really tough handicap, man. Like three weeks ago, this team was drawn dead against the Colts. And I you know, I was like, well, I guess that's it. Uh, and then they wrap, wrap up back-to-back uh, -back wins, most notably putting themselves into the playoffs if the playoffs started today, which is just amazing. So um, they're uh, there. You know, we talked about it on Monday. Uh, they're probably the uh, you know the best quarterback situation of these NFC NFC South teams, which is more of an indictment of the situation than it is a praising of Baker Mayfield. But um, I don't know. I think you can defend uh, you know the the few bright spots on that offense well enough uh, that you can keep uh, a little bit of separation between you and Tampa in this one. And I think Packers get back on track, and you know they should be rated kind of right in that tier with the Rams. Uh, and uh, kind of meaningfully better than Tampa right now, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I agree that the the injury reports for the Bucks aren't good at all. Vita Vea, to your point, he hasn't practiced all week. Looks like he's not going to go. Jamel Dean did get in a full practice today. That's just come out. So perhaps he will go, but the team is still uh, super banged up. Chris Godwin hasn't practiced this week either on the other side of the ball. So that's a problem too. I will say that with the Packers, 
If you want to construct the argument that the Packers uh, have just not been good all along, I think you can get there where they were <laughs> a th- they were a two and five team, then they beat Brett Rippon. Okay, whatever. They lost to the Steelers. They won at home against the Chargers by three in a game that the Chargers probably should have won by double digits if they could have caught any pass whatsoever from Justin Herbert. It was almost, it was a comical Kadarius Tony Sky Moore type of uh, absolute catastrophe from the Chargers receivers, uh, including mainly Keenan Allen in the most un-Keenan Allen-like performance of his career, perhaps. Then they beat Detroit in a game that Jared Goff just torpedoed by himself. Like anyone was beating Detroit the way that Goff was playing that day. And then they beat the Chiefs, which I think is the most impressive win of this stretch. But the way they beat the Chiefs is they basically won the game because Jordan Love just tossed it up on fourth and one and it landed in Romeo Dobbs's hand for a 33-yard gain. And that was... Uh, the decisive play of the game, and then there's no pass interference um, against MVS. So, look, I don't think you can really construct a way out of that win being impressive, but outside of that, it hasn't been an ultra-impressive season from the Packers. I think with Jordan Love, PFF rates him the 17th best quarterback in the NFL, and I think that's probably right. I think that's about probably where he is, where he was awesome against the Lions and he was awesome against the Chiefs. And even before that, the three or the three previous games that he was playing at a higher level uh, than that awful stretch that he had where particularly those primetime games against Detroit and the Raiders back-to-back where he just looked like he didn't belong in the league. Clearly, he belongs in the league. But I think just the type of player he is as well where the types of throws that he tries and the tight windows and the deep shots in particular where I think he's just going to be a high-variance week-to-week quarterback. And if the deep balls don't come off... He's just not going to look nearly as good. And he was, I mean, he was a total mess against the Giants. I don't understand what happened in that game, but uh, it wasn't a great showing. Uh, do you think the idea that Jordan Love is about the 17th best quarterback, do you think that's fair? I would have trouble putting 16 ahead of him just because of so many guys have been underwhelming and or injured this year. Uh, it's tough to really kind of know how to escape the middle class of quarterbacks. Um, but I would also say that. If you're going to tell me what are the right situ- what's the right situation for Jordan Love to have a good game, it's at home, it's with good pass protection, and it's uh, you know in good conditions. And all of those boxes are checks for me this week, right? There's not going to be a significant pass rush here on the part of the Bucks. Uh, the Green Bay Packers offensive line is still playing at a really high level, uh, and weather conditions, at least as currently projected, are going to be sunny, eight mile an hour winds, temperatures in the 40s. So. Um, just the, you know, the, he's a young player, he's inconsistent. I think that is maybe more of the takeaway I have from sort of the ups and downs of their season so far. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it was unfair to see a player, you know, kind of improving from a trajectory standpoint and assume that it was either going to stay at that level that he had achieved or continue to go up. Uh, and it was probably just a, kind of a, maybe a little bit of nerves, uh, a little bit of the Meadowlands factor. Uh, and, you know, just in general, the weird you know, weather conditions and unfamiliar infamiliarity that uh, kind of bred that lackluster performance against the Giants. But um, he's going to have blips. He's going to have hiccups. Uh, if next year it's only four games instead of six, that would be improvement. Um, and I don't think, you know, it takes many, many years of uh, doing this at uh, a high level before you can kind of 
you know, settle into a, a super comfortable uh, week in, week out expectation, unless your name is CJ Stroud, apparently. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't mind putting him kind of behind the likes of Stroud, Lawrence, uh, and, uh, you know, some of the other young quarterbacks like Hertz, who we have relatively high confidence are going to continue to be good week in, week out. Um, but I would uh, definitely put him above the likes of the Baker Mayfields of the world, the Gardner Minshews of the world, the Geno Smiths of the world, the way Geno Smith has played so far this year. So um, he belongs above Hal, in my opinion. He belongs above Fields. He belongs above Carr, the way Carr is playing. He belongs above Ritter and Pickett. So I think there's enough um, of sort of clear definition of the lower class of starting quarterbacks in the NFL to say that love is above them. Um, but if we have kind of talked ourselves into a range of 15 to 18, that actually sounds about right. Yep. And checking now, it looks like as PFF have him the 17th best quarterback, the ringer also has him the 17th best quarterback, just two spots ahead of Brock Purdy, um, which is uh, fantastic uh, to, to see. All right. Before we get to Ravens, uh, Jags, Drew, it could be the best game so far this college basketball season, and it's only on Peacock this Saturday. Check out top-ranked Arizona facing reigning Naismith Player of the Year, Zach Eady, and number three, Purdue, in a matchup that could be a preview of a Final Four game later this year. Tip-off is set for 4.30 p.m. Eastern. All right, Ravens, Jags. Now, the Jags have 13 players listed on the injury report, which isn't great. Now, all of these guys are limited or full participants, so that is good. But this team is really banged up at the moment, and they're going up against the Ravens team that looks basically fully healthy if Kyle Hamilton can go. Uh, the line as we speak is Ravens minus three. Jags have been getting backed. The total is 42.5. What's your read on this one? Yeah, so just uh, yesterday, this was one of my higher confidence plays of the week. Um, and as of this second, I am no longer holding negative equity because <laughs> the market has come back. <laughs> but there was a good 12 hours there where you could have gotten Ravens minus three at minus 113, which uh, I really wish I had kind of been a little bit more patient and timed my market entry a little bit better here because I would love to have three. Uh, I'm not super sweating holding three and a half. I got it at a... At a you know, a price that's not going to hurt from a big standpoint. Um, and I think there is blow up potential here for Baltimore, albeit on the road. Um, it doesn't have as much to do with the injury status, although that's obviously important. Like these Jags are pretty banged up. It's pretty clear. Um, it has more to do with sort of the category that I would put Jacksonville in right now. Um, Jacksonville is kind of what I would kind of classify as a they do some things very well but they are fatally flawed as well. And they would fall into the same bucket of teams in that regard as the Lions, the Seahawks. And uh, if you remember pretty clearly, like the, the, you know, the, um, uh, the Ravens absolutely throttled those teams. So if you have a good defensive coordinator, which Mike McDonald absolutely is, uh, and you are going up against a one-dimensional Jaguars offense that has a quarterback who is dealing with meaningful injuries and mobility is question mark. Um, I think you can create some innovative pressures and some innovative ways to uh, truly disrupt what they want to do on offense because the Jaguars are not going to be able to come out and line up and use their strength of the, any kind of strength on the offensive line, push you off in the trenches uh, and get their running game going. They haven't been able to do that against anyone, let alone a, a defense that's as good as the Ravens, which means the Jaguars entire hopes of, you know, going score for score with the Ravens in this game is through the air, through Trevor Lawrence's arm, and he has no Christian Kirk to work with here. It's going to be 
uh, a lot of targets to Calvin Ridley. Uh, I would assume a lot of Evan Ingram. I would assume a lot of maybe even a lot of Zay Jones. Zay Jones was actually a hugely important factor when the uh, Ravens and Jags played last year. Although, you know, this time the conditions are going to be quite different. This is a primetime game. The weather does not look great. Uh, and I think Trevor Lawrence's health is maybe the most important factor here because he is, uh, you know, definitely uh, dealing with the high ankle sprain that we know about and just still lingering issues with the knee injury he sustained, but what, like six weeks ago. So Lawrence is kind of the X factor, but uh, with the pass defense and particularly if Kyle Hamilton goes, I like the like I like the chances of the Ravens to really put that unit in into a bottle. Um, you can look at the Jaguars schedule over the balance of this season getting absolutely trucked by the likes of the Niners, uh, not being able to cover against the Chiefs, who we now know aren't even really that good, uh, and some of the other, uh, you know, home letdowns that we've seen from this team uh, against the Texans. Uh, you know, they, they have some signal here that they're not really to be trusted, even at home, uh, and the defense we know is not to be trusted. This defense, uh, you know, coming into the season should have been rated in the 20 to 24 range. Uh, they got a great start to the season, largely on the back of playing against some, uh, you know, inexperienced and lackluster quarterbacks and playing in some very, very positive um, situational spots like the game against the Bills. And uh, what we've seen from this Jags defense in the last four weeks and last you know, handful of weeks in particular against the Bengals and uh, against the Browns last week was a unit that is clearly in that 24 range like we expected preseason. So they have been you know, at, at the halfway point. We talked about who are regression candidates and the Jags defense was kind of at the top of my mind, top of my list. Like, you know, people are now saying this is a top five unit, but I'm not ready to be there yet. And now we've seen kind of the, you know, the. Um, uh, the chickens come home to roost for lack of a better terminology that coincides with the Ravens offense that I think is candidates for late bloomers this year. There's always one offense that has new pieces, a new offensive coordinator and a quarterback who, you know, has a very, very high level in terms of potential that takes a little bit of time to get going. Uh, this happened when Tom Brady moved to the Bucks. It's happened with in years with Pat Mahomes, uh, you know, getting that offense to its uh, its best level. Uh, and to me, it looks like, at least from rewatching that Rams game, it looked like the Ravens are kind of hitting their stride right now, which is bad news for the rest of the league. Uh, really bad news for the rest of the AFC, I'll say. I don't think anyone in the NFC at the top of the pile is really afraid of the Ravens, but who knows? Um, I think the uh, the offense continuing to build through the home stretch here capturing a one seed is entirely likely uh and i think that you ought to be rating this uh baltimore offense versus jags defense uh somewhere in the 84th percentile level in terms of expected points even uh given considering that this is going to be probably a bad weather game so um baltimore i think can get into the high 20s low 30s uh, and i think the baltimore defense can keep this uh, jags team in a bottle it's a prime time game i'd love to see something competitive I have a bunch of Jags futures. I'd love to see them compete, uh, but I think uh, it is time to uh, pretty much kind of re truly reset and recalibrate uh, the rating on the Jags right now. And uh, I think the Ravens are a class above. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think it's a particularly good matchup for the Jags. And the reason why is, do you know where the Ravens rank in terms of uh, rush defense EPA over the past five weeks? They rank last in the exactly. NFL. They've been the worst rushing defense <laughs> in the NFL uh, since week 10. Uh, and so that is the area to attack the Ravens. And the Jags have a bottom four rushing offense and they haven't been able to run the ball all season. I think the Ravens are an interesting team because 
They are statistically one of the most dominant teams of the past decade. But I think that is inflated a little bit by the type of team that they are, where they have their profile is that they have the best rushing offense in the NFL. They have the number two pass defense, but they're a below average rushing defense and they're a, a good but not totally elite passing offense. And I think that type of profile just lends incredibly well to playing with an accentuating lead. And I think a lot of the Ravens, their statistical dominance came in those games against Detroit and against Seattle, where they just got they got up to a lead early, uh, almost instantly. And then from there, they were just able to dominate playing with their lead. And I don't think that the Jags match up particularly well because they're going to be needing to throw the ball, you would expect. Uh, and I don't think that is going to work uh, especially well for them, particularly if Kyle Hamilton is able to go. Uh, and with Baltimore, with their own offense, I think that, look, every time I watch the Ravens, I just, is this team all that good? <laughs> like, and they look, I mean, they have all the statistical indicators, but I thought they were very uninspiring against the Chargers. They really could have lost to the Rams, and I think they were likely on their way to losing at home to the Bengals before Joe Burrow went down. Uh, so they don't have the aura of dominance that they. And also, they allowed Deshaun Watson to go fourteen for fourteen in the second half while he's playing with a broken shoulder and a high ankle sprain, while Jerome Ford ran all over them at the same time. So they haven't been super impressive over the past month. But I do think that they perhaps figured out something with their offense against the Rams, where Lamar just started chucking it deep, uh, and he was successful doing that. Now there were some blown coverages, and the Rams don't have a great defense, but. I think between the way that Odell uh, has kind of reinvigorated himself physically and the way that he looks, you know, as basically like the same guy that was on the Rams when he was on track to win Super Bowl MVP before he tore his ACL, the way he is looking, the way that Zay Flowers continues to get better each week, uh, I think they have enough weapons to offset the loss of Mark Andrews. uh, And I think that they should be able to expose a Jacksonville defense that I agree, I think is somewhat fraudulent and was inflated by uh, playing a soft schedule to start the season. Yeah. All right. The Rams, the Rams tried hard by the way, to get pressure in that game. Um, yeah. There was a lot of dropbacks and uh, you know, they only got six pressures and two sacks. And if you want to hang that on the Rams for their lack of, you know, anyone with uh, kind of true blue pedigree outside of Aaron Donald, that that's fine. But I got to tell you, I watching the game as a Rams backer. I was like, man, they just can't get this guy. Lamar is too slippery. And honestly, the pass protection was really good through the first two, two and a half seconds of almost every drop back. So uh, if the play is well designed and if Lamar likes his initial read, he's going to hurt you. Uh, and if the play breaks down, he is still extremely tough to tackle. And honestly, the pass rush for the Jaguars is pretty toothless. Um, you know, outside of Josh Allen having like a couple of highs this year. And yeah, I know his numbers look good in terms of what he's been able to overall, you know, produce overall. But, um, you know, there have been many games where the Jaguars have let their opponents back in because they haven't been able to generate a pass rush. And so I, I don't think that Lamar is going to be lacking for time. Uh, he's got a fully healthy offensive line in front of him who's pass protecting at a really high level right now. Uh, and I think that's really the key to uh, this offense starting to look very good. So um, am I speculating that there is going to continue to be improvement with this unit? 100% yes. Uh, but I think uh, even if this is sort of a, a, a B game for the 
Ravens offense instead of an A game, uh, I have a little bit of faith that the uh, the Ravens defense is going to look better than they have in recent weeks. Okay, that makes sense to me. All right, before we get to our best bets this holiday season, get the fantasy fan in your life, the exclusive Roto-World Draft Guide bundle featuring expert analytics, player insights, and season-long tools. Get all three of the draft guides for one low price. Go to NBCSports.com slash holiday bundle and use code HOLIDAY23 at checkout to receive 25% off and a $10 Fanatics gift card. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Pick me! Pick me! Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Best bets for the weekend. And I'm going to start us off. My bet is the Bengals minus two and a half against the Minnesota Vikings. And I want to tie in just kind of tangentially a little theory that I have in the NFL right now. Uh, and my theory is, is that the Chicago Bears, their defense, which ranks uh, fifth in the NFL by EPA per play since week five, I don't think it's that good. Uh, and I'll tie it back into the Minnesota-Cincinnati game in a second, but I don't think it's that good because they played two games against Detroit where Goff just totally submarined the game each time. Uh, They played the Saints, uh, the Chargers, and Carolina, where all three of those teams exceeded their average performance by EPA uh, per play against the Bears relative to their season average, Uh, and PFF ranks the Bears' defense 30th in the NFL on the season. And I get that Montez Sweat has come in uh, and has changed their defense. But, like, it's Montez Sweat. Like, he's not Miles Garrett. He's not Micah Parsons. He's a very good pass rusher. But outside of Montez Sweat uh, and Jalen Johnson, like, I don't think there are that many blue chippers on this defense. And I just don't buy that they're the fifth best defense in the NFL. And how this relates to the Vikings and the Bengals is that the Vikings were able to do absolutely nothing against the Bears all game, and then they were able to do absolutely nothing against the Raiders all game. And a lot of people have pointed to Josh Dobbs on that, but what I would say there is that uh, Kurt Warner did a great breakdown uh, on YouTube of Dobbs uh, and his performance against the Raiders and just going like play-by-play all of Dobbs' dropbacks being like, what's this guy supposed to do? no one is open on the offense. And it's not just like that KJ Osborne isn't very good and can't get open. It's like the play design is all messed up. Like guys are running the same routes. They're overlapping. They're too close on their routes. And I just don't think that this offense is particularly good at the moment. And I also think that Nick Mullins is just worse than Josh Dobbs. He came in and he, I mean, he led them to the game-winning field goal, uh, I guess, against the Raiders. But 
he could have been picked off on multiple passes when he only came in briefly. I think we very much know what Nick Mullins is. And now on the other side, I think there is reason to believe that Jake Browning is real. I don't think you have these last two games that he's had without just being a good quarterback. And look, there is some variance there. He might he might not be good, and he might have just played two uh, not great defenses and certainly worse defenses than Minnesota. But the identity of the Minnesota defense is blitzing. The way that you beat blitzing is with quick game and quick decisions. And if there's anything that w- that should be stable about Browning's game, it's that he makes good decisions and he makes them quickly. So I think that he will be matched up perfectly fine against the Vikings defense. Uh, the Bengals don't have a good defense themselves, but I'm a little bit worried about uh, Nick Mullins, even though Justin Jepson will be back out there. Uh, and I think that the Bengals should be um, bigger than two and a half point favorites. What's your read on that one? I bet the Bengals, so I'm with you. <laughs> I bet it largely because I believe in Jake Browning. Yeah. Um, his EPA per play the last two weeks was his EPA, total EPA generated was incredible. And yeah. I went back and rewatched both games, expecting to be like, oh, well, there, there were some flattering plays that really kind of helped him push those numbers up. My takeaways were the opposite, actually. There were some key drops by Jamar Chase and T. Higgins in yeah. both of those games. There were some key uh, you know, uh, penalties and some things that went sideways that I was like, oh, man, like this wasn't these, these aren't these aren't inflated numbers at all. He is just playing that well. And, you know, the beat reporters and the stories they're writing and the way everybody's talking about him. He comes into every week with like an absolutely true blue, like determination to continue to improve his game. Like he's not, uh, you know, coming across as a guy that is lucky playing for a future as a career backup. He is like grinding to be his best, you know, a, a true NFL player. And I mean, you have to acknowledge that that has to be truth in that, considering the talent evaluators that saw his college tape and what he is actually doing right now. Like there has been a leap in performance and uh, it has to be dedicated to whatever he's putting into his you know his game and his intensity in terms of development so um no reason to think this is fake at all uh and you know i don't mind being uh especially bullish jake browning because he's playing on an offense with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, uh, a new a super, you know, budding running back superstar in Chase Brown, maybe. Like, Brown is phenomenal change of pace over what Joe Mixon was adding to the table. The offensive line is 100% healthy. They've had perfect continuity all year long, like, and they're playing really well right now. And, oh, by the way, Zach Taylor is coaching his behind off he is really really making outstanding sequencing and uh, schematic decisions about the way they're running the offense on top of really good in-game decision and being aggressive at the right time so um overall i'm buying the bengals offense as uh, a you know a real um force uh and uh, had a long conversation with someone very smart who bets nfl today about whether or not to take bengals 85 to 1 to win the afc um, on the basis of like that price potentially getting cratered if Browning continues to play well. And we went back and forth over like 10 or 15 texts because I was like, you know, like he's still going to be seven and a half, eight point dogs on the road at KC uh, against Baltimore if they get the buy, right? Like there's, there's potentially going to be a premium on the known quantities at quarterback when we get to the playoffs. And Cincinnati is going to have to do it all themselves. So I think realistically you can get pretty close to that number, just rolling them over uh, those three games on the road. If that's the way, you know, if you feel high conviction and Bengals getting it done. And honestly, 
I'm going to watch every minute of this game, specifically looking for if Browning is doing it against a team that is bringing a blitz at 50% of the rate, uh, you know, a, a defense that is overachieved now for more than half the half the year. Like the, the Vikings have been a flat out good defense for a while now. Uh, DVOA has them what uh, top top six. Uh, so you know, this is a good unit. And if he does it against them, then I think that answers a huge question about whether or not he can do it in a playoff environment on the road. And I think you have to sincerely consider the Bengals as factors this year. Yep. No, I agree. And the pick six wasn't his fault either. I mean, it wasn't a great throw, but it was also kind of a random play against the Colts. And the thing is, too, is that, like, I don't think the Colts and the Jags are amazing defenses, but they're also not the commanders of the Cardinals. Like, they are real-life defenses. So uh, I think that there is a good chance it's real. And to your point, like, this is the guy that – this is the type of player that you want to be taking 85 to 1 shots on because there is – just look at Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy comes in. No one knows anything about him. And now he is an MVP front runner and playing at, you know, at historical statistical level. And there is a chance that Jake Browning is just like really, really good. Uh, and he's been that the past two weeks. Uh, and there is a chance that that could continue. Uh, worry about the defense. But, I mean, the defense was good last season. Uh, and I know they lost some personnel, but Cam Taylor Brick can come back. I do believe this team has some upside. All right, what's your best bet? Uh, I forgot, man. I'm so excited about the Ravens and the Bengals this week. <laughs> I'm going to take on the uh, the New York Stinking Jets. Uh, eight and a half points here for Zach Wilson on the road against the Dolphins team that has a cluster injury on the offensive line. Uh, we talked about this already this week. I think this is a real, real potential uh, letdown here for the Dolphins coming down the home stretch. They have to play uh, one of the toughest. You know, they they played the Jets a couple weeks ago on Black Monday. Uh, it was Black Friday, I guess, uh, and uh, it was a closer game than the final score led on by a long shot. Uh, and it happened against Tim Boyle. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that Zach Wilson playing with uh, kind of a YOLO attitude is definitely better than Tim Boyle. Uh, and the Dolphins' injuries that they sustained on Monday night are all very concerning to me. So I don't know if the Jets ultimately get an outright win, but I think their defense, and particularly Quinn and Williams' matchup against a placement center is sort of the key that I'm going to be watching for in that game. Uh, and I think uh, if you can get quick pressure on Tua, if you can make Tua uncomfortable, Tua is obviously dealing with a little bit of performance anxiety, it feels like, in general right now, like the pressure of getting the one seed and kind of actually not even being in the playoffs if they don't win this game, I think, could potentially get to him. So, um, you know, there's definitely a lot to be concerned about if you're a Dolphins backer at the moment. Uh, and I think the Jets can prey on uh, a number of positive matchups in this one. Uh, I'm not a believer that the weather is going to be as impactful as the betting market has decided it will be. Uh, Hard Rock Stadium has a little bit of a unique architecture that doesn't really allow the wind to be as impactful as it is in, say, the Meadowlands. But, um, you know, the fact that this could be a bad weather game adds a little bit more fuel to the fire and getting involved with the underdog. Uh, so hopefully Zach uh, Wilson doesn't break my heart. Uh, but uh, going back to the well with the Jets for a second straight week. Yep. So the Miami Dolphins, there is a chance their starting center uh, is a man named Jonathan Harrison, who hasn't played in the NFL in four years and was bad uh, his entire career when he last did play in the NFL. Uh, and there's a chance that he is their starting center. Toronto Armstead is apparently a chance to play 
Robert Hunt would be a uh, pleasant surprise if he is able to play. So that's not ideal. Javon Holland, we'll see. Uh, they're just banged up across the board, and uh, Tua did not have a good game against the Jets uh, last time out, and uh, no one has a good game against the Jets. And Tyree Kill, I would still make him a favorite to play, even though he hasn't practiced the past two days. Uh, but you suspect that he's not going to be 100%, and there's a chance that he doesn't play at all. So I agree. I think this line should be um, should be seven. All right, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows and Amazon Music. Just head to amazon.com slash NBC Sports. You can go through the podcast feed or the YouTube page to see our breakdowns of all the other games this weekend. But for now, good luck. It's coming weekend from Jay Crouch from Drew Dinsick. We'll see you next week.